episode of Civil Sessions, a Sorensen Network podcast. I'm your host, Randy Pearson, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Herbert. Joe, how are you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing great, Randy. How are you? I am good, getting ready for Thanksgiving. Um, I know it's a little different this year for us and for everybody out there, but um, you know, do you guys, you and Robin, have any plans for the Thanksgiving holiday? Oh, yeah. We've got big plans this year. We are ordering Chinese and renovating our bathroom. So it's going to be exciting (laughs) around our house. (laughs) For those who don't know Joe, and this is an incredibly on-brand answer for him, so that's uh, that's awesome. Um, We are not remodeling a bathroom. We are going to do, I think, a very... uh, very, very small outdoor with like three, two or three close family members outside um, where we can distance out and just have a couple people together in the backyard. But that's going to be the extent of our gathering to be safe uh, during this pandemic. So, um, but it is going to be an exciting episode we have tonight. We have joining us Ray Lemura, who is the president of the Virginia Cable and Telecommunications Association, as well as the chair of the Sorensen Board. So, we're going to talk to him about all things broadband a little bit about wireless and a little bit about Sorensen. So stick around and we'll be right back with Ray. We have a great guest joining us tonight. Uh, We are lucky enough to be joined by Ray Lemura, who is the president of the Virginia Cable and Telecommunications Association. Ray is also the chair of the Sorensen Board, which is great since this is a Sorensen Network podcast here on Civil Sessions. So, again, we're very happy to have you on, Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Randy? We are good. Uh, Again, thank you for making the time to be with us tonight. We know you are as busy as a lot of people are around Richmond now, right now, coming out of special session and getting ready for regular session. So we'll dive right in. And you know, I think I, I certainly, you, you and I have got to know each other from my work as a lobbyist and um, from my work in the legislature before that. But I think a lot of folks probably don't know what the Virginia Cable and Telecommunications Association is and what the VCTA does. So what do you do as the president of the VCTA and what does the VCTA do in Virginia? Sure. We are the state trade association for uh, the cable industry and the broadband industry. In fact, it was just a a couple weeks ago, we changed our name to the VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia, kind of recognizing the trend and how uh, the issues that we are focused on on a consistent basis are coming up. And it's all broadband all the time. Our members consist of Cox Communications, Nelson Cable, Citizens Cable, Chantel, Charter, Comcast, and Atlantic Broadband. So we we cover the entire Commonwealth. Uh, It's been uh, a fascinating industry. When I first joined, it was uh, all cable television issues. And now it just has migrated for really the past 10 years to be focused on broadband and getting broadband to the unserved. So you're kind of just leading me right into my next question, which is, you know, and this is something we hear about every year, all the time. We've heard about it a ton this year because of the pandemic and because of the the even greater need for access to broadband and access to high speed Internet across the Commonwealth. But, um, you know, 
what are we doing as a Commonwealth and what is the VCA, VCTA doing to help more Virginians, particularly in Southwest and Southside Virginia, have access to broadband, have access to high speed internet? Because I know that it's just, again, we hear so much about it. We know the governor, our current governor has put a lot of funding behind that and has tried to put more in. So, you know, what are we doing as a, as a Commonwealth and, and what is the VCTA doing in that space? Sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased you brought the topic up because it's a complicated topic and it's not an elevator speech that can be delivered. And everyone who you meet has a great idea on how to solve broadband. But the issue is it's the construction of infrastructure. And when you picture that, that means you have to get local government permits. You have to build and construct utility poles put those in the rights of way, then climb those utility poles and string broadband throughout the build area. Then you may have to cross a bridge or you may have to cross a railroad tracks or you may have to underground the the, uh, the, uh, infrastructure. So it is complicated and it's construction. So it doesn't happen overnight. And, sorry, Ray, I just want to ask you a question on that point. I mean, where does last mile come into this, too? Because that's something I feel like that's a term that gets thrown around all the time on, you know, we're talking about serving un- unserved or underserved areas. So talk a little about that, too, if you can. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah. So I'm going to key on the, the words you just used, which is unserved and underserved. So in the Code of Virginia and in the FCC, only the, only the word unserved is used. The word underserved is nowhere, and it creates confusion by a lot of people who interject that word. We use the word unserved, and we define it by the speed capabilities. So to define the speed of broadband, we look to the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and they define broadband at a minimum speed of 25 and 3. So what we're focused on is getting broadband to the unserved. And what we have done in the Commonwealth is created a program that has actually caught national recognition. It's called the Virginia Telecommunications Initiative. It's also known as VADI. It was started back in 2017. And the problem was that they put in a million dollars into the pot. (laughs) And what we're trying to do is extend private sector broadband to those unserved areas. But it simply doesn't make sense in many situations right now. So we needed a, a fund to help us make it have economic sense. So if you can think of what we're trying to get to now. The rate latest Commonwealth Connect numbers that are prepared by Evan Feynman and his team in the governor's broadband office, we're trying to get to about 360,000 households in Virginia. I mean, if you think about the whole population of Virginia, we're doing really well. But But we still have to get to those unserved. But also understand the reason that they don't have service now is they're the most difficult to get to. 
they're farther off of the road. And in many circumstances, probably almost all the circumstances, their local government has not even brought them water and sewer. So now you're trying to bring advanced telecommunication services to areas that are really difficult to get to. And VADI has been extremely successful. So the, thing, the key thing about VADI is it focuses on the unserved and it's technology agnostic. And when I mean that, when I say technology agnostic, it means it's just not the cable companies who have access to the pot. Telephone companies, AT&T and Verizon have access to the pot. Fixed wireless have, has access to the pot. The electric cooperative, cooperatives have access to the pot. And it's a public-private partnership. So you've got the locality identifying where are, they try, where are we trying to get to. And then you have all of the great elements of the private sector of the expertise who does this work 24-7 around the country. And the ability to make the infrastructure upgrades that have to happen on a continuous basis. And you get the private capital that comes in. So in 2017, again, a million dollars was put into the pot. It costs you know, to build uh, infrastructure in rural Virginia between fifty dollars and $100,000 a mile. So you could see that that did not go very far. But the elements were there that set forth now the model just to get it funded. So what we have been working on in partnership with the governor's office and in partnership with our other, the other folks who get to use this is to continuously ask the legislature, please fund VADI. If broadband is a priority, to get to the unserved, then you have got to get it done. And it has been recognized around the nation. Uh, the governor's uh, chief uh, broadband advisor, along with the past two chairs of the governor's broadband advisory council, have all served on national panels to talk about the success that we've had with VADI. And now what we were so pleased this past special session, the legislature just increased the budget for VADI to $85 million over the next two years. And one thing that's also important is the governor also had some additional CARES Act fund to the tune of about $30 million, where they were able to kind of just throw that into the mix these past couple of weeks and make very targeted uh, broadband builds, again, in, in unserved areas. And that is really the key element of the program, that it's getting to the, to the unserved. And so there is a clear distinction between those words of unserved and underserved. And the last mile that you raised, Randy, that's the connection to the house. That's the last mile that we're trying to get to. That's the last mile. And we are getting there. We're coming. But construction takes time. Well, on that note, I mean, the, the size, the scope and the complexity of this project is, is really ambitious. Uh, but, but what's the plan? 
Do you have a uh, sort of kind of gross explanation of areas that are being targeted and uh, where those funds and where those projects are uh, taking place right now and, and what we can look forward to over the course of 2021? So right now, over 2021, uh, the applications that are for this 2021 round of funding from VADI are due out in January. So we're all waiting on bated breath to see what are the projects that are going to get funded. Okay. So stand by. That sounds stand exciting. Stand by for, for, for hot news coming out shortly. But the, <laughs> the program is oversubscribed. I mean, there are so many communities that still need it. But you can, if you step back, you can really, you can see, you know, where do we need to get to? We need to get, do a better job in the Northern Neck. We need to do a better job in Southside. And we need to do a better job in, in Southwest Virginia. Now, in all of those circumstances, the terrain gets so much more difficult. And again, that's why it's the, you know, it's, it's really hard to get to the folks but in, the, in, in these communities. You know, on the Northern Neck, the folks want to live on the water, but the road is not on the water. <laughs> the road is 300 yards from, from the water. So, you know, it takes, uh, you know, extra funds to get those, those builds made where it makes sense. And in Southwest Virginia, you got a lot more mountains. Uh, you got a lot more hollers. And in those kind of areas, you know, fixed wireless makes a lot of sense. And, and fixed wireless has actually been the greatest beneficiary of VADI funds. So can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, you kind of, you're kind of getting into this, but what are some challenges you foresee for telecommunications and for, um, you know, for your organization and just the industry for telecommunications and broadband in general in the upcoming session? Obviously, everyone's, you know, we're all feeling the challenges of the pandemic and the unique situation we're in, but what are some challenges that are unique to your industry that you foresee for 2021? Well, you know, Randy, one thing that's interesting as, as we're talking about, um, is we talked about the construction of broadband, and that's that's really important. But once you have broadband built, it, now you have the second challenge that comes in front of you, and that is people adopting the service. So you have to understand with broadband too. There's really kind of two components of it. You've got commercial broadband, and then you got residential broadband. So commercial broadband, you can picture. You know, uh, St. Mary's Hospital needs a large pipe to come in there to carry all of that information and its and its security. So, you know, the telecommunications company is going to bring a large pipe to them, and they're going to have a contract with them, and they're going to be able to amortize that expense one on one for a number of years to cut co- to you know cover that cost. And so the 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 cable company or the broadband provider knows who that customer is right of way. When you're trying to build to the unserved and you're trying to build to residents, you have to construct the network and then hope people will adopt the service. They don't have to. And in fact, really that we call it the take rate is about 40%. So compound that in the rural areas where you have a more costly build, where it, it really doesn't make economic sense to do so. And then you're going to get a take rate 
of about 40%. And the, you know, the bill is $40 a month. So you can see pretty quickly the economics kind of turn, gets turned upside down. Now, again, part of the issue I want to kind of I would want to kind of lay that groundwork there for you, but also we recognize that now you've got the construction built. Now you've got to get people to take the service. And some things we have found is that there are challenges in in households where um, broadband is expensive. And they, for, for their economic reasons, they are not adopting the service. So several of our members, Comcast, Cox, and Charter, and Citizens, have all developed programs where if you have that household is on any type of government subsidy, they can receive broadband for $10 a month, which is an outstanding initiative. And so what we're trying to do is drive up that number of folks to adopt the service. And so as this pandemic has hit and kids have been forced to you know, go to school virtually, uh, you saw very quickly those households that, uh, that the $10 a month was, was a challenge and that couldn't stand. So throughout this time, uh, many of our companies have actually been partnering with localities who've been able to access CARES Act funds to cover that, that $10 even. So if the $10 is too much, in many communities, the CARES Act funds is kicking in to cover that $10. So you're getting people hooked up. And the great thing about that is now when the kids go to bed, you know, mom and dad can pop on and maybe get a job or apply for a job or continue their education themselves. So just great benefits associated with that. But that's been one of the key challenges that we've been facing and we've been uh, trying to address as we work on the Broadband Advisory Council. That's a really interesting way to address that sort of unfortunate catch-22. But is there any effort going on right now to – sort of provide educational resources to inform people that might not otherwise know about the sort of um, electronic economy or the you know, digital economy that's previously been unavailable. So we've been working with the schools. We've been working with the legislature uh, to get the word out about it um, because of the demand and the timing. You know, we're getting the phone calls ourselves and uh, we're, we're kind of identifying those. We do get frustrated if there are some school districts that won't allow the information to go home. There are some school districts that view it as an advertisement. Well, you know, if they are requiring their students to be online for classes, it's not an advertisement anymore. You're simply bringing information and allowing those homeowners to make that determination if it's a match for them right now. So. Um, that's a little bit of a wrinkle that exists that we're, that we're focused on. So can you talk a little bit about you know, what – you touched on this a little bit and tangentially through some of the other you know, questions we've been talking through. But what you know, unique challenges does the pandemic pose to your industry? I mean I feel like everyone we've talked to has kind of given us their perspective so far 
on how the pandemic has affected them or you know, how it's affecting the industry they work in. What has this done to the telecommunications and broadband industries? And, and you, know, you know, how are you all responding to that? Well, that's a great question. And um, as you can imagine, when the pandemic first hit and people were no longer working in their offices downtown, and now they're working at home. So the first question is, um, okay, now we're migrating folks from these commercial pipes on a daily basis to the residential pipe. You know, does it hold? That was the first question. <laughs> and, you know, we hit a grand slam. Uh, our folks, nothing went down, nothing at all. Uh, so we were very, very pleased. Uh, it was some of those things that kind of, you're like, you know, as this was happening, the question kind of popped up like, okay, this is a migrant, you know, folks are migrating out of the office. We haven't been in our office since the pandemic has hit. So we've all been, you know, operating from home. So that was one of the, the, the big questions that kind of hit out there. And now, you know, part of the question is, you know, so we, the industry overall is doing, is doing well. Um, but again, we lost some of the business from small businesses that, you know, are, are closing their doors right temporarily, hopefully, um, and move to more residential services. So those are the kind of things that we're seeing, but we're also seeing a lot of folks interested in the topic of broadband, <laughs> which makes it interesting during the general assembly session. And as you can see, just in our conversation, um, it's not an elevator speech, as I said. You have to lean into this, and you've got to learn the language. Uh, you've got to learn that it's infrastructure that has to get built that's reliable, that doesn't go down when the wind blows, uh, that is sustainable, and is continued to uh, be upgraded. And you know, as we talked a little bit about, you know, a lot of folks don't have water and sewer. When we build this infrastructure, you know, we're upgrading it every 24 months. The speeds continue to increase. You know, when you would put water, water sewer pipes underground, you don't go back and touch those for 60 years. So, you know, when you're, when you're talking about this kind of technology, um, uh, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're being mindful that this is advanced telecommunication services that may bend from time to time. But, but we're not having brownouts. We're not having <laughs> water pipes busting. You know, we, it bends, but we, uh, it's a very, very reliable offering. And it's, uh, it's exciting to see the capabilities that it brings. I think that's uh, that's been particularly important during this pandemic, to, so everyone can you know stream their favorite show on you know Netflix as well when they're at home, or or you know make sure they see the new season of Yellowstone or The Mandalorian. You all are making that possible as well, so that's that's very important. But you know beyond, and I want to take us in a positive direction. You know what role do you see? your industry playing and helping the Commonwealth get its economy back on the, on its feet. Um, once this pandemic is over and as we hopefully come out of it in the spring and the summer, what role does your industry play again in helping this, the economy kind of re-jumpstart our economy and you know, get things moving in the right direction again? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. We have worked very closely with Stephen Murray and his team at Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Um, we worked on site characterization. So when there's economic development, new partners who want to move to Virginia, they will have the broadband that they need. We will bring them 
what they need. That's not a question. And now what we're trying to make sure is the communities that surround those areas have broadband. So we're trying to get that to those unserved areas and make sure that that is capable and, and, and those kind of things being done. The other great benefit of this, uh, as, as time goes on, really, I see is greater access to health care for everyone. Um, and it can be done quicker. And uh, it, that is very, very exciting, especially some of in our rural communities where they don't have, you know, uh, the teaching hospitals that we have at UVA or here in Richmond or Northern Virginia. And you have access to those folks. So hopefully uh, the health care of Virginians will improve as, as one of the great benefits as we get more broadband deployed throughout here. Uh, and then it just creates you know, greater economic development opportunities as we continue to, to move on and get more people hooked up, that they can be, you know, working remotely with jobs in, in New York or Taiwan or California because they have access to, to broadband. Well, I don't want to take us too far backwards in the conversation, but clearly the infrastructure piece of this is, is very challenging. Um, and it just made me wonder uh, if, Anybody in the industry or, you know, across your association has looked into the efficacy of these uh, satellite broadband ideas that are being floated by people like Elon Musk and others? You know, we have uh, uh, actually our, our companies have a laboratory in Colorado that focuses on, OK, what's the cool stuff that we can do with our network on a daily basis? We have engineers going in there every day seeing how can we bend this wire to make it do more. The great thing about the pipe that we build is really the security. And that's, and the reliability. That's what we want to be able to have all the time. And if it does get damaged, we can, we can get it repaired quickly, but it creates just the level of security through that pipe itself, as opposed to, you know, a satellite beam um, uh, that that's out there. Uh, so that's reliable, but that uh, you know the 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 hard infrastructure is more reliable. Certainly, it's uh, like what you're mentioning about brownout or uh, you know any sort of weather event that could interrupt signal. You know, your infrastructure wouldn't suffer from that, correct? Exactly. Got it. Reliability, I guess, extremely important. Uh, when you're, you know, connecting people to uh, the electronic uh, economy, uh, among other things. I mean, a lot of times if we have an outage, it's really because uh, the power has gone out. <laughs> um, somebody has hit a utility pole or a tree branch has fallen. That's what causes most of our outages. Well, I think I speak for Joe and that this has been you know, enlightening for both of us. And I'm sure it will be for our listeners on, on the broadband and telecommunications industry. But you know, I feel like we'd be remiss, Ray, you know, having you on. Um, you, know, you are the chair of the Sorensen board and this is a, a Sorensen Network podcast. And you know, we have to ask you about that. And just, you know, I, I want to ask you, you know, can you talk about your role as chair of that board and, and how you know, how you're able to work you know, to make the institution continue to thrive and continue to succeed and, and what you've been you know, able to accomplish in that role? Uh, first, I, would, I, I just can't say how humbled I am uh, 
to serve as chair. Uh, it is such a unique organization that brings people uh, of like mind who really view government uh, and government service and the opportunities of government as a way to, to help their fellow citizens and to do it in a manner that is respectful and is considerate and listens to as many ideas as possible uh, to make forward and bring forward the best ideas. And uh, it's such a a cool opportunity to be associated with um, all individuals across the Commonwealth who have this mindset. And I, I can't tell you how many times just walking down the street and I've got my Sorensen lapel pin on and someone who else is from Sorensen, they grab, it's an immediate fraternity. It's immediate because you have that, that ethos of trust, civility, and respect that's ingrained. And uh, so that's, that is just really one cool element that exists there. But uh, you know, the work of Sorensen is so, is so critical uh, especially today, uh, when uh, the dialogue has gotten so visceral uh, that uh, there is a, a hearkening to civility. And uh, we all have that responsibility ourselves to help lead that way. Uh, so um, I'm not sure if that, that was your correct answer for what you're looking for, but. Um, that's kind of the spirit with which I look at and just the, the honor I have in being able to be associated with Sorensen. Do, do you have a uh, particularly rewarding experience uh, connected with your service as chairman of the board? Um, you know, I guess the greatest rewarding experience was uh, as I had been involved with it, my son asked if, if he could go to to apply for the Sorensen High School program, and uh, I think as a dad, I was just kind of felt very proud that he felt that he wanted to adopt that ethos and that model, and that he wanted to go through that. And so, it's probably much more personal for me than um, anything any grand answer, but. Uh, you know, have your son step up and say, this is something I want to do because I, I know it's important that, you know, it kind of makes me feel that, well, maybe I got something right. Well, Ray, you kind of touched on this you know, in your first answer about Sorensen, but I, I want to go back to it because I, I became a believer in Sorensen right away when I, I got into the program and, and experienced it. But, you know, for a lot of po- folks listening to this, they may not have been through a Sorensen program. Um, what role do you believe Sorensen plays in helping cure or fix the current toxic nature of our political discourse and the political environment to encourage you know people to want to get back into politics and public policy and engage? You know, what role does this you know, important institution play in that? I think Senator Warner, uh, you know, kind of said that we're really at the at the hallmark uh, of opportunity. You know, we have the the systems in place today to, you know, churn out those like-minded very quickly and very fast and get them on the streets 
uh, and and subject them through this program. I mean, one thing, and you you both know this. One thing that's great about it is it's a crucible that you're kind of put through. I mean, you're you have to mix it up with folks who don't agree with you and you don't agree with them, and you have to find a way to get stuff worked out. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Trying to get to point you know, Q when you're at point A and B and you're struggling, but you know you got to get to point Q quickly. So it's a it's a it's a great opportunity. Uh, it's an instrument that I think is at the right place at the right time and has the right staff to lead us there and the right alumni to help encourage people to get into the program as well. Well, here, here, I would second all of that. And I'm going to get you out of here on a fun question that's related to the week we're in. It's you know, Thanksgiving in a couple of days here. Ray, tell us what is one thing that is absolutely 100% going to be on your plate for Thanksgiving and one thing that is 100% absolutely not going to be anywhere near your plate for Thanksgiving? Uh, my wife makes my favorite spinach and artichoke casserole. Uh, so that I always look forward to that at Thanksgiving, and it, it's an outstanding. Anyone who knows me <laughs> knows I have a visceral reaction to anything with tuna fish. So that would be nowhere near. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird if it was, anyways. But that's a good one. I, mine is Brussels sprouts. I, I I know people love them, and I'm going to get some hate mail for this. Um, we can talk about it civilly, but no Brussels sprouts for me on Thanksgiving. No, thank you. Even wrapped in bacon. Yeah, nope. The tuna association probably got me as a son of non but I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, great. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I know it was an education for us and an education for our listeners, I'm sure. Um, thank you again for all your work as board chair. week this week, in keeping with the theme of broadband expansion and the discussions around the internet we've had, is from Bill Gates. He's quoted as saying, the internet is becoming the town square for the global village of tomorrow. Thank you again for listening. Please, if you like the show, give us a review on Stitcher or on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. You can also reach out to the show via email at civilsessions at gmail.com and on Twitter at civilsessions. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next time.